Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. So I'm coming more and more in grips with this idea that, you know, that whole greeting time. Anybody hate that? Like, I hated that all of my life growing up. Because it was like, I don't want to hug the old lady. She's probably going to kiss me on the cheek. It's going to be awkward, right? But there's a moment where you go from, oh, Lord, we're with you, to, wow, God's in the midst of us. And sometimes it does take this human-to-human thing where you look at another human and you go, I see God thinks this about you, or, hey, can I bless you? And that, that's harder to do because most of us just want to deal with God, but a lot of times he wants to deal with this between people. And so what we've been doing is kind of yelling at you, or I've been yelling at you. I'm going to try not to yell today. Uh, try. Try. Good luck. I heard a good luck. And I'll just talk somber all day. But it's not a somber day, but the book of Jude is where we're going to be at. And if you don't know the book of Jude, it's got some really good commands, some things that should fire us up, but it's also got some warnings. And when you get to warning texts in American Christianity, everybody thinks you're scolding them. But I'm not because Jude is scolding his people and Jude's going to scold you. Okay? So grab a Bible, open it up to the book of Jude. If you don't know where that at, you can go all the way to the back to Revelation. And then the book just before Revelation is Jude. It is one chapter long, which means we could read it from beginning to end right now in about five minutes. If you're in your reading plan, we're actually challenging you to do that. Read the book of Jude. Just read it over and over and over. And you're like, why would I do that? I read scripture, I meditate on it all the time. I just read it, and I read it, and I read it, and then when I can't read anymore because I'm tired, I play it, and I listen to it. Because I want to hide his word in my heart that I won't sin against him. So that when I'm ministering to people and telling them about what God thinks about them, you know what comes out of my heart? The word of God. And so the book of Jude is written by a brother of a very important guy that we know. Jude is the brother of Jesus. I mean, he's his half-brother. If you, They don't got the same daddy. Uh, so <laughs> Jesus is the son of God, born of the Virgin Mary. We herald that. Like, this is amazing. God sent a rescuer, a Messiah, the anointed Christ. We follow him. Now, Jude is just a brother of Mary and Joseph, but he's attesting to, my brother is the Christ. My brother's worth fighting for. My brother's worth following. My brother's worth dying for, which is interesting. So let's start at the beginning, Jude 1, 1. We're going to do the first nine verses today. Next week's Easter, if you don't know, we celebrate another thing that happened, that Jesus physically rose from the dead, conquering sin and death and Satan himself. That's a good thing. So if you're thinking, man, I'm going to come next week, and we're going to do Jude. No, we're going to actually just yell about the resurrection next week, and then we'll be back in Jude. So Jude 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. He gives you three things, and we've talked about this book recently, but I came back to it this year. I love Jude because I love short things that are impactful. Number one, he says you are called. Who called you? You're in in church, so you can just go with Jesus, God, the Father, like one of those, all right? He called you. And I love that idea because it's literally, the, the word in the Greek and the word in English are the same. Hey, hey, Jimmy, 
come here. And you know what this feels like and you need to remember it. What's Jude doing? He's trying to bolster the faith of his people in a crooked, depraved generation. He's going, you were called by name by a holy, omnipotent, good God. He did it through his son, Jesus. Don't forget your calling. Now, I don't know about you. I'm 39, I'm 20 years into following Jesus. There's days I forget who called me by name because stuff happens. You ever feel that? So what we do is we go back and we go, no, 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 I know he called me, and I recount it. I know where I was standing, I know what I was in, and I know what I was like, and then I, Jesus called me by name, and now I know what I am and where I'm going, and it reorients. He says, two, you are loved. Everybody ready? I am loved by God. Does that feel weird? Anybody like, not me. If you are in Christ, that is not pride, that's a truth. And so, once again, Jude is going, you are called, you are loved by God. And how many of us, we get into the middle of our weeks and we do something stupid. Like, you, I, I run my mouth a lot. Does God still love me? Please say yes, or I'm in really big trouble. Does God still love you? Yes, and we need to roll around in this and declare the word of God over us not what the enemy's declaring over us, not what our emotions are declaring over us, but what the word is declaring over us, which is that we are called by God, loved by God, and then a good one for you that mess up a lot like me, we are kept by God. Which means you're not the keeper, he is. Which means who's holding who here in this situation? Yes, there's some responsibility. I wanna grab hold of the things of God, and I don't wanna let go, but my hands are weak compared to his. Who's holding you right now? Who's keeping you right now? Who's pursuing you right now? Who goes, no matter what, son, no matter what, nothing can separate you from the love of God. That should be like, Whew. you feel that? Christians today live on a place of un, like, un, just stupid expectations on themselves. Some of you are type A perfectionists. You run in that vein. And so if you say shucky darn instead of shoot, you're like, I'm out. It's not how this works. You are called, you are loved, and you are kept, which is good news for everybody in here that loves Jesus. He goes on, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. And I'm, we're gonna walk line by line through this. And so I like to stop a lot. Why would an apostle, hey, I want mercy, I want peace, and I want love. They're yours. Be yours this is apostolic command. This is a guy that saw Jesus walk with Jesus and he says over people, hey, mercy, peace, love be in yours in abundance. So what does God want in your life, Christian, in abundance? Mercy, peace, love. Who provides all that though, right? So what we normally do, we hear a command in scripture, be full of peace and love and mercy. And we go, well, now I gotta scrounge that up. Do you have the ability to do that? Do you have, I mean, so whose mercy are we gonna let fill our lives this week? Jesus, this, you're in church. Jesus, right? Where's peace come from that the world doesn't understand and the world can't take away? See, we're trying to do more call and response in this church. Y'all are real nervous at nine o'clock talking to me. So who gives peace? Oh, I love it. Who gives love? Who overwhelms us with the love of God in Christ? Jesus. This is the beauty, 
It's he's keeping me and he calls me and he loves me and he pursues me and he cleans, cleaned me up and he's calling me now and he's leading me now and he's right here going, I want to give you an abundance, which I like that word because this is what we think God does. This, this is God's mercy. I'm not going to do abundance, all right? <laughs> but God's not stingy with his kids. He's not a stingy father who's like, water dropper of love for you today. If I had a bucket, I would dump it on you all and be like, that's abundance. What does it look like when a people are so connected to their Savior that the mercy of God that's lavished on them, they pour it out? That's what he's saying. That's the picture. Abundance of mercy. Abundance of peace. Anybody in here, and let's just be honest, let's be the people of God. Anybody in here, you're like, most days I'm walking in a high degree of anxiety. Anybody want to be honest and real in church? So everybody know, like, yes, right? So what we need to do is come back and not go, well, now I have to produce that on my own. No, we need to go back to the God who saved us, called us, loves us, and keeping us, and going, God, I have it, I have it. I have anxiety, I have lust, I have pride. I don't want it, I want what you got. Give me an abundance, what you have. It's an exchange. He goes on. Verse three. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago has secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord, of our God, into a license for immorality, and they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. This is the command of Jude. This is like when they make bookmarks at Lifeway, it says, contend for the faith, Jude. This is like the statement of Jude. Contend! And it does translate down to fight, but I hate telling Western American Christians to fight. You know why? You take it in a completely unbiblical way. When I get, hey, anybody that doesn't agree with you, go contend for your faith. What comes to your mind? Well, I'm going to hit them with a the Bible. And I'm going to tell them how wrong they are and how they're all going to hell. Like, when the word contend is actually really translated into wrestle, struggle against, do everything in your power to stay with Jesus. That's how I want you to present it. So there's an aggressive, like, I'm going to oppose the things of God. We're not talking about that. Contending is if this cross is you and Jesus. And I got it. This is contending. All right? Now let's say one of you comes up here and goes, hey, come sleep with somebody that you're not married to. So you grab my foot. And I'm just like, no, no. Like, I can't do it because no one's actually pulling my leg. But we're constantly, this is what the world wants you to do. It entices you away. And what the Christian do is he goes, no, I want to be here. I want to be with Jesus. I want to know the Lord. I'm going to carry my cross. I'm not going to let my faith go to follow anything that anybody preaches to me that's contrary to that belief. That's contending. How does it look like to not be persuaded away? What does it look like that I know the foundations of my faith and who called me and I'm not going anywhere else? So I want to talk about some of those things because he talks about individuals who are ungodly people, but they do two, two things. They pervert the grace of God 
into license for immorality. In your version, it might say they pervert the grace of God into sensuality. And then they deny Jesus Christ. If you take Jesus Christ out of Christianity, what do you have? Not a daggone thing. You have a country club of polo shirt wearing nice people. But you put Jesus Christ, the living son of God, who was dead, but then now is alive forevermore and holds the keys of life and hell itself, and you put him in Christianity, and you rightfully go, I don't want to move away from him in the slightest. I want to be where he is. I want to be under his rule. I want to know his words. I want to know his ways. I want to know his whisper. I want to know his spirit. I want everything Jesus, and I don't want anything of the world. This is Jude's cry to his people. This would be mine to yours, to you. I guess I'll claim you, my people. Though you already know this, he continues in verse five, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffered the punishment of eternal fire. So I told you, Jude's real chipper, right? So what's he saying? He's saying, you guys, you contend for the faith of Jesus. But there are some, even in your group, even among you, that are perverting the grace of God to do what they want. They're taking grace and they're going, because God is gracious, I can do what I want with my body, with my mouth, with whatever, and God will forgive me. That's perversion. That's using grace as license. And then he says, and in the process, they're denying Jesus Christ as the Lord. Now, if Jesus Christ is Lord, who gets to tell you what to do in your life? you're in church Jesus does but that seems sometimes in people I'm running into even on the streets mainly on the streets not in the church as much and I go well if Jesus is your savior is he your lord and they're like what do you mean I believe he's he's he died for me and he saves me from hell and I'm like well when's the last time he told you what to do when's the last time that he won in matters of finance or sex or life and they're like well that doesn't matter I'm like that's it Jesus is the Savior, a really good one. He's he's the only Savior of of humanity. He takes sin off of people and puts the righteousness of God, but he's also a king, the rightful ruler of all things. In fact, there's nothing in all the creation that our King Jesus doesn't go rightfully. And I mean, it's the right rule of King Jesus to go, that's mine. That earth, that's mine. I made that. You, mine. Mine. That guy, mine. That's the idea here. And so Judah's kind of going, oh, there's some that have slipped in, and he gives them a warning, which scares us as Christians, but it's a good warning. He says, don't you remember that the Israelites, he says, there's these people that God delivered, but then afterwards when they didn't believe, he destroyed them. So there is this thing of actually trusting Jesus and it being assured of being saved. And then there's these other group of people, they say the right stuff, they walk the white walk, they walk 
with the Israelites. They were angels of God, Sodom and Gomorrah, and then God destroys or God punishes. All that's to say is the Israelites were saved by God, walked through the Red Sea, got manna from heaven, pillars of fire, all this stuff. They watched God do miraculous, beautiful things to save them, and still some of them did not believe. You have the Korah and his whole family get sucked into the earth. He's going to talk about that. These angels he's referencing, he's either referencing Satan himself falling from grace with God because he rebelled, or he's referencing the book of Enoch, which is an apocryphal book, but we don't need to talk about that because it ain't in our Bible. He's referencing these angels that are looking at the glory of God and going, I, could, I need to be up there. And God did what? Threw them out. And then finally, he references that great chipper story of Sodom and Gomorrah and how they loved sexual immorality. They perverted the things of God. And what did God do? That's not like a fairy tale. That's in the Bible, and it happened. And so as we look at this, I want to talk about what does it look like to contend for the faith because I keep running into college students and high schoolers that are like, Andrew, you don't understand what it's like out there. The arguments they're using for homosexuality and Christians, is, I can't fight it. The arguments they're using for why the Bible can't be trusted, I don't, it just confuses me. Uh, even this last week, man, like I heard of somebody in our church, a Mormon came up to them, they were like, we're the same, right? And I'm like, we're not. So I just want to walk through that, and I'm going to arm you with everything I know about how to contend for the faith in this age. The reality is, though, Jude is actually warning about very similar things that we're facing. So we're like thousands of years away from that, but we're still fighting the same things. People like to sleep with who they like to sleep with, and people like to redefine the things that God said to fit their own duties. That's the same things. And so as we look at this today, I want to lay out for you what is the faith that we are contending for first. So I'm going to give you two verses, Acts 2, 36, and 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Because when, when we look at like, all right, what am I actually defending? What am I fighting for? What am I, you know, what's this contention? What am I, what's this faith that once for all was passed down? Well, I always go back to when was the first time that was preached. So Peter preaches the very first gospel on the day of Pentecost. Our Lord and Savior dies, resurrected from the dead on Easter, which we celebrate next week. He sticks around for about 40 days, teaches them about the kingdom of God and all these things. He's reminding them, and he says, now go wait. Go wait until you are clothed with power, and then you'll be my witnesses. Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2, Pentecost, and all of a sudden they are filled with the Holy Spirit, tongues, all that stuff. They pour out on the street. People are like, they're drunk. And then Peter, being the loud mouth that he is, amen, gets up and is like, let me explain what's happening. And then he begins to explain the gospel, the faith that they have. And he says this in verse 36 of Acts 2. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. 
Likewise, so Peter, that's the very first moment that you have someone like, here's the gospel, guys. And 3,000 men, just the men is counted, go, hey, this, oh, we feel that. Tell us what to do. You need to repent of your sin. You need to be baptized into the name of Jesus. When in that day, it was if you were baptized into a name, you were taking on that name and that authority and that mission, and you were belonging to something. It was initiation. And it says, on top of that, he's going to forgive you of your sins, and you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of God in you. Paul says a very similar thing to his people in 1 Corinthians 15. And I like summaries, and this is why I like 1 Corinthians 15. It says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you're standing, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Similar language of Jude. God delivered, but there's those that didn't believe. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. This is the gospel as it's proclaimed twice, once from Paul, an apostle, once from Peter, an apostle. So when I say contend, we're trying to get as close to this original faith that we can. And as you look at Jude's warning for today, do you all think, let's just go, let's go show of hands. Who thinks there's false teachers today? Thank you, church. <laughs> right. So surely if someone can get up and preach the true gospel, someone could get up and preach something that's false. Now we could spend months talking about all right, this guy here, and people are doing that. They've made whole YouTube professions over hunting people. We're not doing that. What I see, though, are, are about three things that are, I think, the most important. So I mentioned one. The first one that I see that I would call false teaching is, is this teaching that scriptures can't be trusted. Is anyone getting that vibe from people that you're interacting with? That's the number one thing that I run into people on conversations on the street. You believe a book that's been altered and edited that Constantine himself chose so that he could rule his, you know, monopoly. And I'm like, ah, I don't think you understand how we got the Bible. So we call this book what? The Word of? The Word of God. And so someone comes to you and they say, you can't trust this book. Is that true? Do you know why? Do you have an answer? And I know some of you are like, no, please tell me. Now that sermon, that apologetic, that reason, as a lawyer would make a reason why and defend that you can trust this, would take about an hour. This is what I would tell you. When they wrote down the words of these books, and the reason we don't have the book of Enoch is because the people of God, hello, people like you, many years ago, about 2,000, uh, were literally listening to men that had seen Jesus go, he told us this, we wrote it down, and we attest to that fact. Then they would go and it'd be like, Peter, did you, did you write this? Yes. And then that was passed on to someone else, and that was passed on to someone else, and that's usually about the time that we go, well, somebody in there, some king in England, or some like scribe was like, I just want to add the word predestination in there, just to mess with them about 2,000 years from now. 
The reality, though, is every book of the Bible has these manuscripts. So number one, you have the faith family of God going, those are the very words of God, and we cling to them. And they talked about, should that book be in there? Well, did an apostle write it? And if an apostle wrote it, they were like, we'll consider it. And two, do we hear the voice of God in it? And that community attested to it. It wasn't like some voting. It wasn't like, oh, we got to figure out what was God and what was not. And then you get these books of the Bible that are in there because of a, a community of God's people, mostly apostles, said these are the words of the Lord to you that you need to pass on. Then you get into manuscripts. So everybody heard of the Qumran caves? Anybody know what archaeology is? So if I was to ask you just a basic generic question, was Napoleon a real man? Everybody cool? Everybody know who that is? Napoleon Bonaparte? Uh, how, about, how about Constantine? Was he a real guy? Did he rule? How do you know? So take it out of the realm of Bible, and let's go into here, historical accuracy on figures, dates, times. How do we know anything happened? Historians wrote it down, and then they passed it on to another guy who could have changed it, right? But you read a historical book, and you go, that happened. And then you get to the Bible, and why are people so adamant against the Bible? Because it makes claims to speak for God. And we can't have that, because someone's ruling then. And what, does, what do Americans want to do? Rule. Be in charge. And so all I have to say is if you don't have a really like, firm understanding in this room of why these, this book is the word of God and we can trust it, the number one thing a false teacher will lead you to do is distrust this. It's really similar to Satan in the garden. Did God really say that? Did God really say that? And I know I didn't give you a full answer, so some of you are probably mad at me. Maybe we'll do that in the coming days. We'll talk about how did we get the textual criticisms and all that stuff. But scripture can be trusted. If scripture can't be trusted, what are we doing? How did you come to hear about God? How do you know what his commands are? How do we know anything? It was God's sovereign plan to put in the heart of the apostles by the Holy Spirit the words of God, that those would be written down and attested to by the community of faith and passed down through generations. And hundreds, if not thousands of men and women have died to procure this book for you. The writers themselves attest that it is the word of God. And history, manuscripts, and archaeology only confirm it time and time again that we can trust this historical book more than any other book. The second thing I see as far as false teaching goes is there's a lot of people these days running into other religions. Anybody run into a Mormon lately? They are the nicest people. And you could say that to them. I do. I'm like, you're so nice. You're nicer than me. Like, you're nice. You're faithful. I actually think the way that they do missions is actually more intense than it should be close to what we're doing. Why aren't we knocking on doors? Why aren't we sending our teenagers? At, like, you got to go share the gospel of Jesus. And the reality is you all run into them. And they come to you, and they got a Bible, and they have a Book of Mormon, and they're real slick in their theology, and you know what I want you to do? Contend. 
Do not be lured away by doctrine that is not biblical. So it will sound, it will use the same words, faith, heavenly father, heaven, but it is not the same meaning. So I want to arm you with one, and once again, each of these topics, each of these false teachings, each of these sensualities, it would take, we could talk about it a long time, but I'm hoping it stirs you up not to be deceived, but to cling to the once and for all faith that was delivered to the saints. So Mormonism has two key differences. Number one, it's a different Jesus. What do I mean? Well, in Mormonism, Jesus is a created being, and he's the brother of Lucifer which means he's not God in the flesh, three in one. He's created. And one day, we get to be him. We get to be like him. We'll be gods. I don't know if you know this. That's not in the Bible. So right away, I have two things to stand on. Number one, our faith sounds the same. You're saying Jesus, but what Jesus are we talking about? Because my Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. He's preeminent. He is God in the flesh. He's not a God that was created. He's the only one. If you want scripture that you can go to with the Mormon, go to Isaiah 43.10. And why do I go to Isaiah 43.10? Because Isaiah 43.10 says this last statement, before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. Why is that important? Because they're all working so hard to become God. So if you want to, minister to a Mormon, be like, ah, bravo, I see your faith, I see your works, I see that you genuinely desire to know God, but the Jesus you serve is not the way, aren't you tired of trying to earn something that's freely given? And if they're honest, and they've been taught a lot of answers and a lot of ways to get around that, if they're honest, they're tired, because it's a gospel of works to earn something that's only given by grace through faith. So the Bible, once again, this is why I started like, why do we have to know in our hearts this is the word of God? Because a Mormon's gonna show up and go, well, we have new revelation that Joseph Smith got by an angel, so why do we know this book says that, well, even if an angel of God comes and preaches to you a gospel different than the one you received, just kick him out, just be like, nope, that's not it. Contend. Contend, don't let them drag you away. I just actually said this to a young Mormon guy. I said, let's say, anybody like coffee in this room? All right. I love a good cup of coffee, man. Praise God. Like a cold brew from Dunkin' with some sweet foam. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Go try it. It'll change your life. Now, let's say you get that cold brew from Dunkin' with some sweet foam in it, and you notice that it's got a little bit of poop in there. I know we're in church, that's a little crass, but you know what I'm saying? Are you like, yeah, you know what? I'm just gonna scoop that out. I'm just gonna scoop that little poopy poo and we're gonna drink that. Nobody, right? Unless you're like really desperate and you haven't drank for a few days, but that, this is the reality when we talk about, well, okay, yes, it's similar and yes, we're using similar words, but it's got, it's got crap in it. That's false and wrong and it'll lead to your death. It'll lead you to running in a hamster wheel that you don't have to run in. And it's not the same faith. And then I think the last thing that I see as far as false teaching goes, 
when I look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is a spiritless Christianity out there that says you don't need the spirit of God. Did you notice that when Peter preached it, he went, repent, be baptized, receive the forgiveness of your sins, and then what? Then you're gonna receive the Holy Spirit. Now, it's no surprise to anybody in this room that I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. But I come from a world where they took this, but they cut off the Spirit. But Jude's later going to say in verse 19, it is those who cause divisions, worldly people who are devoid of the Spirit. Romans 8, 14, do you know what it says? You should memorize it, it's really easy. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so there's a type of Christianity that it's not about spirit or like being woo-hoo-y. Christianity at its core is not a human invention. And it's not driven by human power. But most Christianity that I see today is humanly devised and humanly powered. But it is the power of God that removes sin off men. It is the power of God that gives them gifts, and it is the power of God that will secure them to the end. It is not human will. You weren't saved because you're brilliant. You weren't saved because you're good or you were great for God's team. You're not his promo team. You were saved by the power of God on the cross of Jesus Christ, or you weren't. And so if you remove the spirit from Christianity, you neuter it. I just did this again in church and I swore I'd never do it. You take all its power and potency out. We are not just physical. We are spiritual beings filled with the spirit of God. So if you can, not, you can just rule this book and you're type A and you know this, but you don't have the spirit, you won't have love, conviction, or power. I feel that one, see? Because some of you are really good at study. Like I, I prided myself on it. I could outstudy you. I could tell you answers. Does God like me more? Am I more saved than you? No. Say no. Fight me, please. Contend. See, this is the this is the reality that we are a spiritual people that have come in contact with God Himself and His Spirit entered into us and changed us from the inside out. This is, you are a new creation. Who did the new creating? The Spirit of the Lord regenerated your spirit to love the things of God where you used to hate them. So these are these false teachers. And if they're back then, I see them, we see the big ones like the YouTube guys and the guys like extorting people for money. But I could almost guess that they're gonna slip in here too. And not even, I don't even have to guess. We've had to have conversations with people. That's not Bible. That's not true. That's a, that's not do that. And so I, I know almost everybody in this room, and I'm not being like, let's find them, guys. I'm more contending that we cling really close to Jesus, every one of you. I want all of you in this room to be as close as G, to Jesus as possible. And I, I actually, I, I, I'm jealous over you. Like, I don't want any... Mormon, I don't want any false religion. I don't want anything false to kind of try to come and claim you. And it is so tricky today. So tricky. And they're so slick with their words. Which is what we're going to talk about next, which is this, 
This, not only does he say that there's these false teachers that are devoid of the spirit, there's these people that are, are perverting the grace of Jesus for sensuality or for false belief. And in our world right now, there's this, this idea of sensuality rules everything. So if I look at you and I go, you should keep your pants on and not live with somebody you're married with, what do I get labeled? Thank you. You got really excited. Bigot. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> you get labeled stuff. Anybody in here ever been called something nasty because you stood for what God said? I hope so. You know why? Jesus, the guy we follow, said it would happen. Now, here's the reality. This is why I said we're talking about contending, not fighting people. Some of us are arrogant buttheads, and that's why people hate us. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? Some of us take way too much delight telling people they're going to hell. It's not a delight. It's scary. It's a reality. But why are we delighted to tell people they're wrong and we're right? See, that's usually where this devolves to. That's not what Jude wants. He wants you to cling to Jesus and don't let them drag you away. Not skewer everybody you can with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's my first little tirade. It's not even in my notes. So when we look at sensuality in the world, I can see in the church this sentiment. I can't control my sexual desire. I've had several people say that to me in the last month. I just can't control it. Well, I'm just gonna give you some scripture. Colossians 3 says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, verse five, I, if you are in here and you've said these statements, and I'm not even gonna pigeonhole I think men and women today struggle with porn equally. I think college students, high school students for sure, like sometimes they're like, oh, those young, lustful little 20-year-olds. I've met 50-year-old men that are just as much bondage. This verse five, tattoo it on your arm if you have. Don't actually do that. My grandma will tell me I'm wrong to tell you that. So. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now, that's an action. That's a thing you're going to join the Spirit of God in doing. Put to death, therefore, whatever's earthly in who? What word does that say? In who? You. So are you putting to death what's in me? Am I putting to death what's in you? What are you doing? Putting to death what's earthly in you. And then he lists it. Now, that idea is an active form of, uh, I'm going to actively drag out into the backyard my porn problem and I'm going to beat it with a baseball bat until it can't breathe, can't exist, and does not live in my life. Now, to be clear, that was an illustration and I don't have a porn problem. But back when I did struggle with all those things, that's how aggressive I was. And why? I want to be close to Jesus. I want to know the voice of God. I want to know the love of my Father. I want to be where he is and I want to contend that he made me clean and I don't want to run in the things that made me dirty. So if you're in here, and this is you, and you're like, I can't control my desire. Once again, the word of God is going to give you a prescription and the spirit of God is going to give you the ability to do it. What normally we do as church kids is we go, here's the command. Put to death your earthly desires. And then you go home and make a flow chart. Well, every time, this is what I'm going to do. Every time I lust, I'm going to ask my guy friend, 
to just slap me across the face as hard as he can. That'll control my flesh. You, you know what I'm talking about? We come up with some like human devised way to remove something in the heart. Who transforms men and women's hearts? God, Jesus, Father. Well, yeah, go. There you go, right? So once again, what I notice is there's a sensuality to the church these days. Not everybody. But you weren't made for sex. You know that, right? It's a good gift. You can live without it. And all the men in the room are like, can you give the opposite sermon? Marriage is in a couple weeks. We'll talk about it. Okay? Sensuality is this idea that I get to do what I want, when I want, with who I want. And you see that in the church. And you see people giving permission for people to do that. But why does Jude warn there is these people that God delivered, but then he punished? What am I trying to do right now? I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to go, you're going to face these desires because we live in a world that has these desires in your face. So when they come, what are we going to do? We're going to cling and we're going to contend. Not go, I think they're right. I think I can do what I want and love Jesus. So let's talk about two that always just get people upset. Uh, but homosexuality and Christianity are coming to a head. In fact, in the generations that we're in, you're going to see a huge moment happen. In the culture that we exist in, the churches will have to decide, will they go with the word of God or will they go with the world? If you want to know where we're going to go, we're going to go with the word of God. And what I mean is, is the Bible's really clear about what is sin and what is not. And sometimes you get to this topic, and a guy named Vadi Bakum, anybody know that name? Ah, oh, big, strong black man, preaches the word of God like punch you in the face strong. Which I like, you might not. It's very aggressive. But he goes, most of the time when we talk about homosexuality and Christianity, we start it like this. I know some wife beaters. I love them. They're great people. They beat their wives. I tell them not to do that. But we, uh, we just, we don't want, I'll have them at my table. Those wife beaters. And he's going, why do we do that? We wouldn't do that with that, right? Like, if you all beat your wife, can I see you in the parking lot? And we'll show you what a man does when a man beats somebody they shouldn't with the power that God gave them. So why do we do that with other sins? So we get to a sin like homosexuality, and we immediately backpedal and go, I'm sorry. But the word of God's clear, guys. Does that make you an outcast in this world? Yes. Everybody's like not wanting to breathe or look me in the face right now. And the number one thing I, I see in the world right now is I hear this statement on all the social media platforms on the apologists for liberalism. They go, well, Jesus never talked about it. You ever heard that? Everybody, high schoolers, like I've talked to high school students, like Jesus never talked about this. Love is love. And we can just let people do it. They're not hurting anybody except themselves when they end in hell. And you see how we're talking now? Like, this is Bible, guys. This is where we start wrestling and contending and going, what's true and what's false? It's not made up. So Jesus never talked about abortion either. Either Is that okay? So we call that an argument from silence. So if the Bible never talks about it, we get to make up what we think 
That's not how it works. That's a, I was being sarcastic, okay? So don't jot that down. The Bible doesn't say it. I get to do what I want. <laughs> That's not it, right? But in Matthew 19, if you want to go read it, Jesus is actually talking about the normal belief of sexuality in the Jewish mind, which is one man, one woman, married forever. He backs that up. He preaches that. So what's Jesus' belief about what is true, what is right, and what's God ordained? One man, one woman, in a sexual relationship. So Jesus did talk about it. He just didn't talk about that because he didn't need to. So as we look at Jude going, hey, there's going to be false teachers. There's false teachers. We have Jude going, there's going to be sensuality. There's going to be this, you're going to want to do what you want to do with your body. Don't do it. Contend. And then finally... And I was going to talk about gender and politics and just really try to rile everybody up, but I cost those off, okay? Finally, you have, in America, you, I keep hearing a repentanceless gospel, and it doesn't exist. You know what I mean? So you hear the message that Jesus Christ was the God-man and he walked and lived a perfect life, and he said that I came that they might have life and life to the full, and the sick, they need a doctor, and I'm the doctor, and I'm going to give them new life. They're going to need to be born again, and he dies my death and your death for all of the sins of the earth, but he doesn't stay dead. He rises from the dead, and then he comes and he goes, do you want new life? What I keep hearing is, yes, I can have that new life, but I get to keep mine. That is not the faith that was once for all handed down. There's a contending that has to happen here. If someone says to you, you can have Jesus and whatever you want, that is not the gospel. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Do you want to follow Jesus? It involves an instrument of death. Picking it up and being awkward in a culture that prizes being flashy, free. Do you want to follow Jesus? Pick up your cross and follow him. Die to you, renounce you, repent of you. Peter says this, they're cut to the heart. They go, what do we do with this news that Jesus rose from the dead? And his very first word is what? Repent. You're going this way, owning your life and doing what you want. To stop that, say, God, I'm sorry. I give that off of me and I come to you, the living one. Give me life. That's repentance. And so there's a Christianity that's being peddled these days that goes, you don't have to give up your life. It's Jesus plus my sexuality. Jesus plus whatever I want. But if Jesus is just the Savior and he's not the Lord, we have a problem. And that's what Jude's addressing. And I know last week you all were like, you gave us such a good pep talk last week and you're really angry this week. But this is what scripture does because we're a Bible church, right? We go through the word and when the word says it, we talk about it. And this is where I want to end and when we're going to celebrate communion. The reason I would say any of this to you is because my belief that Jesus stands above everything. 
So let me put you in my, my world. I have a wife and four kids, a house. I think he's a, what is he? My dog Tozer is a poodle mixed with a Bernadoodle. There it is. I hate the poodle part. I love the Bernie part. Okay. Now let's say I was like, I love God. Like I'm sold out for Jesus, but if Anna tells me to do anything, I got to listen to her first. Who's in charge? Anna is. You're like, well, she is, because, you know, anyway. <laughs> if I know God said, go therefore and proclaim my words to the ends of the earth, and I'm compelled to go do that in Morocco or wherever I'm going to go do it, but then I realize my kids won't be safe, so I don't do the thing that God wants me to do, who's in charge of my life and my heart? Who's my functional Lord? My kids are. Really, my opinion of having to protect them is. But if Jesus is Lord and Savior and King and rightfully stands over all things and goes, I am the Lord. And he goes, I want to give life to you. Will you let me? And you go, yeah, will you get me out of hell? But I want to sleep with who I want and I want to drink what I want and I want to say what I want. And I just want out of the, I, don't, I want out of the repercussions of my sin, but I don't want to give you my life. That's who Jude's warning. And if that's you, you can be saved today. In a real salvation. Real salvation dislodges you from the center of your life and then you start orbiting him, not the other way around. Jesus is not walking around your life going, oh, please let me in. Jesus is quite secure in heaven going, I did everything that needed to be done to save them. Now they must come to me. And when they do, I'll give them life and I'll free them and I'll save them and I'll heal them and I'll put my spirit in them. Do you see the picture though? American Christianity is backwards so often. We put ourselves in the middle and we go, make us healthy, make us wealthy, make us happy. And when you don't, we get real mad and we go do whatever we want. No, contend that King Jesus is worth everything. It will not make sense to this world. You know that, right? What I just said does not compute. But for a, a people full of the Spirit of God who have been made into new creation, it makes perfect sense to give Jesus everything. Why? Because he's got all the best stuff. With him is fullness of life. With him is fullness of joy. With him is peace that surpasses understanding. With him is the way of life. With him is everything. Contend. Contend. Don't let them deceive you or pull you or lie to you. Know what the Bible says. You are bought with a price. Your Savior is better than life itself. And so as we enter into communion today, it's with all that. I know, like I just stirred you all up and you're like, maybe it's sexual sin with you in this room. You need to confess it. And here's the reality. Repentance and confession are a gift to the church. We just have shunned them for so long because like we hate to drag all that junk into the light, watch it shrivel in the glory of God. Jesus destroys sin and Satan and all the powers of hell. He's good, and he's present right now to save, to restore. 
Maybe you're here, and it's not so much that you've given yourself to anything really, but you're feeling this shakiness in your faith, and you're like, God, I'm coming again, and I'm repenting, and I'm baptizing, I'm putting myself into your name, and I'm going to follow you. I think it's everybody in this room. Every Sunday, you know what I'm saying to Jesus? I'll follow you this week, even if it kills me. Even if everybody else abandons me, and everyone calls me names, I'll follow you. Why? Where else would we go? You have the words of of eternal life. We are living for a kingdom that's not here. So I'm gonna lead you into prayer, but before I do that, I wanna explain what's gonna happen when I say amen. The band's coming up right now, and there are communion stations literally all the way through this room. Uh, There's one here. These are all self-serve ones up here, because you know, We understand sometimes you don't want to go talk to another human being. You just want to bring your family. We even have gluten-free ones. This one, the golden plates for you gluteners. If you're not gluten-free, do not eat our gluten-free bread. Uh, It tastes like dirt anyway. So, uh, (laughs) but if you want to do communion by yourself, there, here, there. And I say that because if you apparently dip gluten bread even into the juice of a glutener, They get glutenized. We don't want that. In the back, there are four tables, and each of those four tables has an elder and his wife or a staff member, and they are there to hear your confession. And you're like, that's when it gets real. I whisper things in my heart, Lord, I'm sorry. It gets real when I look another man in the face and I go, I had lust in my heart and I don't want it. That's when you're doing the work. That's when you're taking scripture's command to confess your sins to one another seriously. I would say this, this is for your safety. If you're not a Christian, this isn't magic bread. What you are doing is you're declaring the bodily death of Jesus by eating this. Why? Because it's broken bread that we are remembering the works of our Savior and we are declaring that we belong to him. And we are declaring with the juice, we're actually not drinking it, we're dipping it today, that that juice is the blood of Christ shed to remove my sin and my guilt and make me new. You are spiritually declaring into the heavenlies, I belong to King Jesus and I submit to him. So if you're not there, you're just reaping judgment and eating carbs. But if you are a Christian, you're tying yourself to your king. It's coming to a table with Jesus and going, I belong to you and I eat of your life because I I need you. You're my sustenance. You're the bread of life. So let me pray. And then if you need to confess, this this is what the church does. Here's confession. If you need to get on your face up here and just worship with all abandon, if you need to be like, man, I gotta talk to one of these elders about I got this question. I wanna know whether the Bible's true. Do it. Contend. God, thank you for your for your word. That was, that was given to us that we might hear of your goodness. Lord, I know I just came heavy and I know it's never fun to talk about sin or I'm sure there's people in this room that have people they love that identify. They identify as like homosexual and they're like, but I'm a Christian. I, I, it's so confusing. Thank you for the clarity of your word. You are the king of heaven and earth.
And so, Father, I just ask by the Holy Spirit, if there's anything we need to surrender to you right now, that you would identify. That you would bring it to mind. So if you're in your seat and you've never surrendered to Jesus, this is your day that you can do that. Maybe at band, like camp at seventh grade, you said, Jesus, I, I, want, I don't want to go to hell, but you didn't surrender. Surrender to Jesus. All to Jesus. I surrender. My heart, my future, my plans, my life. And in losing your life, you'll gain it because you get eternal life by being born again. But you have to repent of your sins. You have to give up your life to pick up his. And if you're a Christian in this room and you started to pick back up your life, lay it down again. Get back on the altar. And be a living sacrifice this week, Christian. So with all that in mind, I'm not going to say amen. I'm going to leave you there in a place of prayer. We're going to worship and start singing. And then you are free to take communion and go or not take communion and go work on a relationship or confess or whatever. Uh, but if you want to stay, you can stay as long as you like. There's not going to be a dismissal. We're literally just giving the room to God. Respond when you see fit. I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless.